and welcome to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast, a podcast that focuses on our distinct approach to this amazing system of understanding human nature. My name is Mario Sakura, coming to you from Philadelphia, and I'm joined by Maria Jose Monita. Hello from Santiago, Chile. And Tamar Zanati. Hello from Cairo, Egypt. We are partners at Awareness to Action International, a consulting firm specializing in practical applications of the Enneagram. You can find out more about our work at awarenesstoaction.com. In this season of the podcast, we are focusing on exploring each of the three instinctual biases and nine strategies through the lens of a movie, looking at one movie that we feel represents the essence of the bias or type. So make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the program. Well, hi, everybody. Here we are with our next episode of the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. And today we are talking about Enneagram Type 9 in the movie The Big Lebowski. I'm Mario Sakura, and I'm here with um, Rio Jose and Tamar. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello, Mario. <laughs> Hello, <Right>. Mario Jose. <laughs> hi, how are you? So, The, the Big Lebowski, um, one of my favorite movies uh, i've seen this movie not as many times as the godfather which we discussed last time um but enough um enough times to have big chunks of it memorized and um it's not a movie that appeals to everybody but i think that uh you know better than anything else it that i've seen it describes what's at the heart of enneagram type nine which we call striving to feel peaceful yeah it's it's amazing because when i was watching it for the second or third time, I think, before the podcast, I was thinking, it's just not a movie that I would choose to watch. <laughs> it's, it, it's not. I've watched it because you have insisted over the years, <laughs> and, and now we're recording the podcast. However, I, I do enjoy it. So it's, it's weird, but it's not my kind of movie. And there's such funny parts of it that I, I've enjoyed it. Yeah. What was your reaction to the movie, Tamar? Uh, well, it was, I mean, uh, the, the rhythm is it was a little bit uh, like slow for me, but uh, I, I acknowledge the the way the joke is really interesting. I mean, it's like situational kind of comedy that uh, that makes you really laugh. So although it's like laid back, very much laid back, but you have a laugh every now and then and uh, you, you start uh, waiting for the next uh, situation to happen. Well, hopefully, as we go through the podcast, you guys will develop a deeper appreciation of the movie. Uh, and 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 I, and I will say that when the movie came out, it didn't get the best reviews in the world, right? It only has an 83% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has come to be considered a classic, and it is recognized by the National Film Registry as a, you know, a fundamental movie. So uh, I think, too, we need to put out a disclaimer about being fair to nines as we talk about this movie, right? Because, when, you know, when we talked about The Godfather, you know, I think most eights are kind of, will take it as a compliment to be compared to Vito Corleone, right? Um, whereas I don't think many people would take it as a compliment to be compared to Jeff the Dude Lebowski, right? Uh, you know, so, and, and that's going to happen sometimes with these movies, right? That uh, sometimes there will be a certain romance to the character that's attractive, and other times, uh, maybe not so much, right? Uh, fewer people are going to say, oh, that's me. Uh, at the same time, if you don't, 
have a character that's very clear and almost exaggerated in their Enneagram type, then the movie's not that helpful. Yeah, I think, I think that works with, with most movies. It has to be exaggerated so that we can see all the patterns and the traits really visible. Not all yeah. nines are like that. Yeah, having uh, having a preferred strategy uh, nine, uh, I, I I did experience what you said exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. so 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 here's the way I was thinking of it prior mm-hmm. to our podcast. Right, is that you know certainly not every eight is uh, Sunny Corleone, right? But every eight has a little bit of Sunny in them somewhere. And I think the same thing applies to nines, that certainly not every nine is the dude, but, uh, you know, there's a little bit of the dude in every nine. I just want to be very clear here as we go into this that, uh, you know, we've both, we've all three worked with, you know, people who are very successful nines, who are very hardworking, and certainly not the laziest man in all of Los Angeles County, um, as the... uh, narrator says so uh, all right and i still can relate to this as well i mean some <laughs> are some of the things that i i like i mean i can see in myself but let me ask you mario yes. i mean uh, beside uh, uh, that it represents nice what makes you like this movie and wanting to watch it I, i'll tell you what let's let's save that for a little bit right i mean there are a lot of things in this movie and it's really kind of a movie geek movie And I I think a little bit later when we get to some of the uh, reactions to the movie, uh, we'll talk about that, okay? I just think it's brilliantly written, funny, tremendously acted. The characters are hilarious. It is slow. It is, the, the plot just doesn't really make any sense, right? I mean, it does sort of, but the plot's not the point to this movie. So, but we'll come back to that, all right? So again, you know, we want to emphasize that when we do these podcasts were not focused on characters necessarily even though for sure the dude uh, played by uh, jeff bridges is a nine in the movie right but i think even more than that again the whole feeling of the movie is nine-ish right i mean it's like the uh, the tortured psyche of a not very healthy enneagram type nine uh, throughout this movie for a lot of reasons that we'll discuss yeah, the, the the songs, the lyrics are all nine. It all talk, mm-hmm. I mean, it speaks about all the nine-ish things that nines do, and yes. uh, it's the rhythm. It's slow and nine-ish, and it's everything. Yeah, the dissociative scenes and the, the uh, you know the, the fantasies and the the dream sequences are you know again uh, are, are very nine-ish. But we'll we'll get into that. So I think you know before we can go before we go further, let's talk about uh, what it means to be a nine. Right. So there's a lot of different approaches in the Enneagram literature to that. We talk about the nine as striving to feel peaceful. Okay. So um, talk a little bit about that, if you would. So, so p- peace is like the, the main theme of the nine. It's like trying to uh, keep the, the surface of the pond like still without any ripples. And whenever ripples would come, either try to calm it down or even make that in your own mind. <laughs> this is some experience I can relate to and we can see this uh, in the movie sometimes. You can see like the daydreaming kind of uh, of scenes that happens inside the main character. So nines would be uh, really able to see other points of view and being able to dis- dissociate themselves from some situations on a positive side that make them 
sometimes uh, good moderators or mediators and sometimes good leaders that can see uh, other members of the system and bring them in and feeling them, uh, making them feel hurt. And on the negative side, it can be avoiding uh, conflicts or confrontations and and sometimes uh, not taking a, a good care of their well-being or looking after threats that, that can um, harm them. They can be indecisive and sometimes stubborn. And uh, the laziness, which we, we explain explain it in a different way, it's more of a psycho-spiritual laziness because we see lots of nines that are very active and really can do things. But it's the, 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 the theme of really uh, numbing uh, uh, themselves from situations, especially when uh, when sh- when they are stressful, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, th- th- this lot is has to do with neglecting things that are important for me. Mm-hmm. It's not kind of being lazy at work or anything like that. It's how I neglect taking care of my own needs, what's important for me, and uh, will make a difference. And yeah. these striving to feel peaceful, these kind of feeling need drives a certain kind of thinking and um, this thinking has to do with what will make me feel peaceful or not and when uh, a situation seems threatening or feels like there will be a conflict I'll probably avoid it and that manifests in different ways sometimes they they're just passive aggressive and they pretend to agree when they don't or say that they will do something and they just don't want to do it. And sometimes they just uh, withdraw and don't say anything. Sometimes they might get really angry and do something about it, but it's all because they want to uh, satisfy this need of uh, feeling peaceful. And and this is an important point. Again, as we said earlier, that we're not suggesting nines are lazy, not suggesting nines are always passive, not suggesting nines aren't um, ambitious in life. Um, I've worked with many very senior leaders and very successful people who are nines. But in the classic Enneagram, the vice of the nine is sloth. Right. But again, it's a psycho spiritual sloth, like Tamara said. It's about self forgetting. It's about being slothful about the things that are important to me, as Maria Jose said, and a tendency to put other people first in a lot of uh, ways and circumstances. So uh, the, the fixation in the classical Enneagram literature of the nine is indolence or acedia the latin term for resisting change right it's that i don't i don't want to change i don't want to be pulled out of of my comfort zone and that's one of the things about this movie there's no there's no character growth at all in this movie right i mean uh, you know the, the the dude is the same person he is at the end of the movie as he was at the beginning the virtue associated with point nine is action or industry it's this ability to kind of get things done. And we see even in, in the dude, we see these moments of assertiveness. And when he, for example, when he starts to figure out everything that's going on, he becomes assertive and aggressive for those points, right? So one of the important things to understand when we're talking about nines is the, the, the tension around inertia, right? A body at rest stays at rest and doesn't often move until it's acted upon by external forces. And again, this is something we see throughout the movie 
of the dude being acted upon by external forces to get kind of pushed into the next episode or the next uh, bit of drama. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's important to note how likable nines usually are. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the kind of more negative stuff, but they're likable, easygoing, and this movie shows that as well. This is a character that no matter what he does, it's just easy to like. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's my experience with nines. Yeah, and that that comes from, again, striving to feel peaceful and not offending anyone and trying to be like at peace with everyone by focusing probably on on saying good things, even if confrontation is needed, trying to compromise somehow. And that makes them pleasant and sometimes, and that gets them into, into the syndrome of the nice guy that does not really get things done sometimes. It, it is, there is this likability uh, quality, and there's also this sort of grounding quality that nines have of kind of calming other people down as well, which is one of the reasons we like to be around them. They're the people who can always say, okay, let's just take a deep breath here. Let's relax. Let's think about this, right? And sort of dampen the emotional turmoil that's happening around them or bring down the emotional turmoil. Again, with the strategies, when we talk about them, we we talk about how they come from an, an internal need to feel a certain way. Uh, Maria Jose mentioned this already, and that shapes the way they think about things, and that shapes the way they act in the world. So what we see in Jeff, the dude Lebowski, is this, you know, all these actions that are meant to create calm in his world, right? Whether it's smoking dope or, you know, the constant drinking of white Russians or listening to cassettes of the songs of whales while he's in the bathtub surrounded by candles, right? It's all about these, you know, efforts to, to, to make him feel calm. Now with the strategies, we can use them in adaptive ways or maladaptive ways. And that's the key thing to keep in mind. So, uh, Maria Jose, why don't you tell us about the um, relationship between the strategies of point nine and point three? Yeah, so what nines usually neglect is uh, the strategy at point three. It's striving to feel outstanding. And that means that they kind of distort it. And striving to feel outstanding feels to them like seeming arrogant. And that's something they avoid. So they try not to seem to kind of want to feel outstanding and, and they just neglect it. That creates a contradiction because they want to be noticed, but then they, they avoid it. So they, they kind of hold back. So it's kind of this tension that's created because I want to feel outstanding, but not seem arrogant, but then I hold back and then I'm kind of pissed off because people don't notice me. So it's kind of that tension. The support strategy is striving to feel secure. That's at point six. So that means that when I feel secure, I feel even more peaceful. It's a way to reinforce the preferred strategy of striving to feel peaceful. So feeling secure, it's not something that they do for the sake of feeling secure only, but it makes them feel even more peaceful. Tamar, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, and 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 actually, uh, resulting from the this dynamics with the point six, it results into sometimes uh, risk avoidance, and and this can really pose some threats on 
on the as you said that there is no real progression in the uh, in the uh, in the whole movie when it comes to personality because probably not taking risks that are needed to progress and to grow the personality so that can be seen very obvious so there's good examples of all these things uh, in the movie. So I think the next thing for us to do is to describe, talk about the movie a little bit and introduce the characters so listeners who haven't seen the movie know what we're talking about. Uh, but before we do that, why don't we take a short break? Awareness to Action offers a unique approach to applying the Enneagram professionally with leaders and organizations as well as for personal development. What makes us stand apart is our Enneagram expertise, and focus on understanding human nature. We know people because we see people. And this is a skill set that can be taught and learned. Human nature is complex and simple at the same time. Our mission is to help people see clearly and act accordingly. Why? Because the ability to see ourselves and others clearly and honestly is essential. It enables us to act in more adaptive and useful ways. The multicultural team and awareness to action will help you learn tools and practices to become more aware and also to understand and engage people more effectively. Learn more at awarenesstoaction.com. Join us at 2021 for exciting learning opportunities. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the movie The Big Lebowski before we go any further. The Big Lebowski's movie starring Jeff Bridges and uh, directed by the Coen brothers, written and directed by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, who I think are just master filmmakers and have made some of my favorite movies, uh, including Miller's Crossing, No Country for Old Men, Raising Arizona, and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It was made for a $15 million budget in. I think it was 1997. Not a big hit initially. The domestic gross was only $18 million. The worldwide gross was $46 million. So typically a movie has to double its budget in order to be considered uh, to be profitable. So it was profitable, but not a big deal. And like we said before, the reviews were mixed. There were some really good reviews of, from smart people and then really some not so good reviews from people who weren't quite so uh, smart. Or, uh, <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. So you're figuring out how this works, Maria Jose. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I've figured you out for long times. <laughs> All right. Um, Let's see, but it probably went on to make a whole lot more uh, on uh, DVD and uh, streaming because it did, uh, you know, some a few years after its release, it started to take on a cult following um, and grew to be very popular in some circles, even though Seth, our producer, has not seen it yet. Seth, you need to remedy that at some point. Uh, so what is the movie about? Uh, the movie is about uh, two Jeff Lebowski's. Okay, one is a slacker who walks around Los Angeles in uh, in his bathroom and looks like underwear uh, and flip flops, but apparently they're shorts. And the other one is a wealthy uh, business person and philanthropist, or so it seems. And uh, there's a state, uh, there's a incident of mistaken identity where the slacker Lebowski 
known as the dude, um, is mistaken for the wealthy Lebowski, and people come after him looking for money. And from there, uh, hijinks ensue. There's lots of bowling. There's a kidnapping plot. There is kind of a a porno theme uh, uh, underneath all of it. Uh, Also, it's taking place in the context of the uh, uh, first Gulf War when the U.S. and other countries went into Iraq in 1991. So there's a whole lot going on here, uh, but not really much of a plot. And the Coen brothers did that purposely. They said that they wanted to create a movie in the Raymond Chandler tradition. Raymond Chandler was the uh, mystery writer who had these complex plots that really were irrelevant to the point that the creator was trying to make, which was more about something about human nature. So uh, I was watching this with my wife the other night, and she was only half watching it, I think, but we got about 90 minutes into it, and she said, you know, I've been watching this movie for 90 minutes, and I have no idea what's happening here. And this would be, you know, this happened to be at one of the musical sequences at the bowling alley, too. So, uh, uh, you know, so it's, it's a movie, you know, kind of about just a bunch of stuff that happens. Comments on the plot, guys. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, uh, and probably maybe because of the personality as well of uh, Seinfeld, it's a show about nothing. So, you know, it reminds me of this theme of really getting everything and nothing at the same time. So, yes, a lot of things happen, right? For mm-hmm. sure. A lot of craziness happens, but none of it really seems to go anywhere. Maria Jose? Yeah, it's like if you were watching the first. 10 or 20 minutes of a movie when you're trying to figure it out, but that just lasts for the whole movie. <laughs> that you're trying to figure it out, you know? Where is it going? And at some point, there's a thread that you can kind of catch and, and, and figure it out, but it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Just have to enjoy it, you know? Just <laughs> not try to understand it, but just enjoy it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So, you know, this this movie is you're 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 right. I mean, there's um, it's meant to be experienced and enjoyed. There's some really really funny things in here, right? Uh, there's some really creative scenes. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. It's uh, you know from the uh, Bob Dylan opening of uh, the Man and Me all the way through to Towns Van Zant's cover of the Rolling Stones' Dead Flowers that closes the movie, and probably the coolest version of uh, Hotel California you'll ever hear Mm -hmm. by the Gypsy Kings when it introduces the character of Jesus Quintana, uh, who will We'll have to come back to at some point, right? So perhaps I had a nightmare, uh, a nightmare after <laughs> watching him. <laughs> perhaps the creepiest character in all of movies. Yeah. So uh, now, when you when you watch this movie, and if you if you appreciate movies, it's part slacker film, which was very which were very popular during the nineties. It's part Los Angeles film noir, you know, detective movie it's uh it's part busby berkeley uh musical uh at certain parts busby berkeley was a musical director from the uh, i guess the 40s and it's a part kind of an ex um, existential uh, meditation philosophical meditation on the meaning of life uh there's also like we said some homage to boogie nights the the movie about about the porn industry in the in the uh, 70s and 80s and it's part social commentary so there's a lot packed in here uh, there's action. There is uh, comedy. I, I think it's a very funny movie. 
Also, we have to say that there's a whole lot of swearing in this movie. I was surprised to find, I did a little research on this, and I was surprised to find that it actually only ranks 29th on the list of movies in their use of the F word, right? Um, I, I thought it would be much higher than that because pretty much every sentence has that word in it. Uh, we don't have a, a swearing policy on our podcast here. We're going to have to come up with one. I'm going to try to avoid uh, that word, although uh, it's a little hard to, you know, uh, during this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go don't ahead. commit to too much, Mario. <laughs> it will be I'm hard sorry? to find movies. <laughs> yeah. Tough to find movies if we put too many rules around it. Exactly right. No, I'm only talking about our uh, repetition uh, of the words, right? Uh, you know, because yeah. look, uh, you know, how can you get through talking about this movie without saying, "Ah, fuck it, let's go bowling," right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, so anyway. But we're going to try to avoid that. Yeah, let, let, let me ask you, Mario, because I I don't know if uh, Maria Jose, you have the same impression or not. The movie is not very well known here in Egypt or in the Middle East. I mean, so I mean, when when I mentioned the name of the movie, I don't get real reaction that people recognize it. Uh, so what what's, what makes it uh, a movie that is interesting in the in in the U.S. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I would say it's only interesting to uh, to movie geeks, right? I mean, it's and so it became popular in colleges in the early 2000s, right? So uh, honestly, what would happen is a lot of people at college would sit around, get high and watch The Big Lebowski and start quoting lines from it. So you can go out there and you can find t-shirts that say things like the dude abides or uh, this um, uh, this aggression shall not stand and other quotes from the movie. So it's more kind of a niche film, but still highly regarded by people who are Again, movie geeks, I think. Maria Jose, is it uh, popular in your part of the world? Not at all. <laughs> Just like in Egypt. Nobody yeah. has heard of it. Yeah, well, all right. So let's yeah. try to change that. I, okay. I was surprised that my daughter uh, watched the movie and she liked it. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I asked yeah. her before watching it because it was my first time to watch it. I asked her, did you watch uh, The Big Lazer? She said, it's an amazing movie. I laughed a lot. So. <laughs> Yes, but that's interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. So there's uh, there's a lot of comedy for sure, and Jeff Bridges is great. Jeff Bridges is probably a nine. Well, not probably. I, uh, Jeff Bridges is a nine in real life. You know, uh, I've been following him for years and years and years, and almost always plays a nine. He's a practicing Zen Buddhist, and you know, just everything about the guy is nine-ish. Uh, so he's the, he was the perfect character to play the dude. Again, it's a movie with huge cultural impact in the United States. I was talking about references. There's even references to uh, the Hitchcock movie, North by Northwest, with the mistaken identity uh, subplot, which is a movie that you should watch if you haven't seen it. Okay. So again, it captures nineness in a way that few others do. Okay, This ease in going through life, this uh, dissociativeness, etc. And it starts right at the beginning of the movie. Okay. Uh, the first scene opens with a tumbling tumbleweed, right? With the song Tumbling Tumbleweed. And it's this tumbleweed just being blown across Los Angeles. 
And as we said, this is about being acted upon rather than having uh, your own sense of agency, which is one of the traps that nines can fall into. And Sam Elliott, uh, who plays the cowboy, does a voiceover setting up the movie. Regarding what you were saying, it's like sometimes nines, it's like things happen to them. They don't, it's not what they make happen. And they can make things happen, of course. Mm -hmm. But many times what they're doing is what just, what life kind of made happen. That's something that many times we work with people. Absolutely. Tamara, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, if if you would ask a nine about that, you would say, I just want a peaceful life. Just want to have, I mean, life with no problems. So that, I mean, the elimination of problem or rocking the, the boat somehow would get them into this passive uh, position where the life start act upon them versus they do some actions. You know. And what's, what's great about the opening voiceover by Sam Elliott, who has that great gravelly voice, is that it's kind of being made out to be this epic sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, this epic odyssey that's about to happen, right? And he's talking about, you know, this, uh, you know, sometimes there's a man, I wouldn't call him a hero, but, you know, because what's a hero after all, but there's this man and he's the man of his time and all of these things. And, you know, but again, it's just this guy in his bathrobe who likes to bowl, smoke pot, who, you know, just a bunch of stuff happens to. And, uh, you know, and it, it even closes out with, uh, you, you know, the same sort of uh, glorifying of the tale that you just heard. What, what happened to me with that is that he was just so authentically kind of not caring about anything. <laughs> so so uh, where, where do we meet Jeff LaBelle? Where do we meet the Duke Mario? Do you remember? So we At meet the him in the, in the supermarket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, buying milk and yes. drinking from the... Kind of, uh, but, but it's just crude, crudely kind of uh, just himself, you know, yes. not caring about anything else. And... There was something, not heroic, but to be admired there. Yes. Yes. He, the dude is the dude, right? And this is one of the beauties of the character. It's just he is who he is, and he just doesn't care what you think about it, right? He's standing in the supermarket aisle in his bathrobe and his flip-flops, and he's drinking from the milk carton, and he writes a check that he post-dates for, and the check is for 69 cents. And you also see the first scene where he starts to be influenced by the things other people say, right? So he sees the first George Bush on the television saying, uh, this aggression mm -hmm. shall not stand. And Lebowski adopts that and he starts to use it. And you see him doing that throughout the movie, taking things that other people say and then kind of, you know, becoming that. So even though we say who's, he's who he is, one of the ways nines stay who they are is by actually adapting to other people, right? I know that sounds contradictory, but it's a way of saying, I'm going to pretend to care. You know, I'm going to pretend to, you know, uh, adapt to who you are, but I'm really just going to stay me inside. Tamara, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you a question because, uh, again, this uh, uh, U.S. culture and with the, name, with the nickname of the dude, so, I mean, to me, it means nobody. 
So it's like, uh, it's, it's really the <laughs> core of the nine of trying to be transparent, not, does not exist. And, and that becomes like a repetition somehow. It, it, uh, did I get it the right way or? You're absolutely right. And, and so there's this contrast between him and the other Jeff Lebowski, where he says to him, no, you're Jeff Lebowski. I'm the dude. And there is this anonymity to it. And there's this turning over of identity. But it's in that turning over of identity that I get to maintain my own sense of me, right? Uh, even though it's not probably the healthiest sense of me. Okay? So you're absolutely right. It is this, this striving toward uh, anonymity, in a way, that we see in the nine. So uh, Lebowski leaves the supermarket. He goes home and immediately he's there. And this is when his trouble begins, right? So he is attacked in his, well, let's say, modest apartment. He's, he's attacked by two, <sighs> I will just call them two goons for now, because again, who they are is a little complicated for this, right? We'll be here all day explaining the plot. But he gets his head shoved in a toilet and they keep saying to him, where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the money? Because the other Jeff Lebowski's wife owes money to the porn movie producer, Jackie Treehorn. And these two goons have come to collect it. So uh, they start to realize, uh-oh, we've got the wrong guy. You know, and as the uh, as the guy is pushing his head into the toilet multiple times and he says, where's the money? Do you guys remember what the, what he says <laughs> at that point? It's down there somewhere. <laughs> it's down Let there somewhere. Let, let me look again. Right. So. <laughs> Which is passive aggressive. Yes. Which, uh, something, uh, a tool that a resource that nuns use quite often. It's it seems cool. Like, let me look again. But then he's pissing them off. Yeah, excellent point. And he's also passive aggressive when the guy holds up the uh, uh, the bowling ball and says, "What is this?" And he says, "Well, obviously you don't play golf, right?" And then um, so and and then when they finally uh, leave, and again, what sort of sets off a lot of the turmoil is that one of the guys pees on his carpet, carpet that really tied the room together, uh, as we hear over and over again. And again, the to show just kind of this unflappability that nines often have, he just kind of reaches into the toilet and pulls out his sunglasses, right, and pops his sunglasses back on and sits there looking like he doesn't have a, a care in the world. Yeah, so the opening scene up to that, again, really establishes who this guy is and what nineness is all about, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it establishes what's nine. It's all about, and starting from when the camera moves to his house, it's like things happen to him, and he's completely passive about them, not really trying to shape them, uh, even in a peaceful way. I mean, it's like being completely passive to whatever. And the and the most active things he would do is the uh, passive aggression, which really explains a lot about the events that will happen after that. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. 
Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. Okay, so we left Jeff Lebowski sitting on his toilet with his sunglasses and his wet hair. The next scene I want to talk about is actually, again, a sequence of scenes. They're bookended by scenes in the bowling alley, and in between is when Jeff the Dude Lebowski meets the Big Lebowski. Uh, Again, uh, Lebowski, or the Dude, is uh, part of a bowling league, and his partners are Walter Walter Schobach, played by John Goodman, and uh, Donnie played by Steve Buscemi, uh, very different characters, sort of the um, the ego and the id or the uh, superego and the, uh, I don't know, that doesn't hold up. I mean, Walter's just a maniac and Donnie's kind of a lovable, goofy, you know, kind of guy. What happens there is that uh, the dude is telling them about what happened with uh, being attacked and his rug being peed on. Walter, probably, I don't know, guys, do you think transmitting eight or? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's maybe an argument could be made for transmitting six, but I think, you know, uh, probably uh, transmitting one of those. Right. So uh, but clearly a uh, an aggressive uh, character uh, who is, you know, uh, hasn't gotten over his time in Vietnam, for sure, and keeps bringing that up. And he encourages the dude to uh, not take this sitting down that he should go to the um, the real Lebowski who owed the money and try to get some uh, resolution around his ruined carpet, um, again, which held the room together very nicely. This is where, again, we see Lebowski, the dude, acted upon again. He goes to meet the big Lebowski, and there's just this wonderful scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is, you know, when he died a few years ago, was a tragic loss, a tremendous actor. And uh, he's showing the dude all the awards and all of the pictures of that the big Lebowski had accomplished in life. And the dude has, you know, he's a bit of a different character, right? They compare as uh, very different people. He couldn't care less. (laughs) 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 All those accomplishments and all the people that were in the pictures. And he only wanted his carpet back. He could have gone so much more for the kind of bad, I mean, the bad, situation the all the complication but he just wanted a carpet back <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and, and and during this scene while uh, while he's really looking at the photos and the certificate at the wall i can i can sense disrespect for the uh, for the kind of arrogance uh, the big lavoski is being uh, presented, but in a very subtle way that is reacted upon in a kind of uh, passive aggression as well. So it's like some sarcasm about a photo or or, uh, or a certificate or something as you go. Yes. And and so when he meets the big Lebowski, Lebowski the big Lebowski is, is a very aggressive and angry guy. He keeps referring to him as a loser and a bum. And, you know, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? You know, uh, every time somebody pees on a carpet, I'm supposed to do something about it and all, all of these things. Um, that character... I think is is kind of a three-ish character, uh, probably a transmitting yeah. three. And if you remember, there's a scene where his daughter, Maud, says, 
father's weakness has always been vanity and uh, again which we associate yeah. with the three and here you have this contrast between this guy who is ambitious and aggressive and accomplished and very wealthy with his young trophy wife and the dude who is very different. Uh, you can see some disrespect in the way the Big Lebowski is talking to the dude and really attacking <laughs> some him. <in> way. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of disrespect. Yeah. And, and, I'd and say really, a lot, yes, yeah. absolutely. And hi highlighting uh, uh, the worthless uh, kind of uh, not having a job and no achievements and so on. And the reaction of the dude is like, uh, okay, man, cool down. I mean, it's like, it's not really defending himself or I'm trying just to, okay. And at the end, at the end, he just started to put his sunglasses completely shut up and completely withdrawn from the, from the conversation. So it tells a lot. Yes. Again, the passive aggressiveness that we see, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and Maria Jose, what does he do next? He just says, oh, take a different route. He leaves and then convinces the big Lebowski's assistant that he was allowed to get any carpet from the house that he, that he liked and just took a yes. carpet without firing yeah. for it. He just took it, yes. which is nine-ish as yes. well. It's like, I will not fight for it. I'll just find another way to get what yes. I want. Exactly right. I'm going to get what I want and just do it a different way. So great. Yeah. So the next uh, thing that happens is the big Lebowski's wife gets kidnapped. She's a young woman or apparently gets kidnapped. And this sets off another chain of events because Lebowski, the big Lebowski wants the dude to be the bag man and deliver the money. And um, again, lots of things go wrong. Lebowski doesn't want anything to do with that. But again, the uh, John Goodman character, Walter convinces him to get involved and they try to rip off the Big Lebowski, we should say Walter, tries to uh, rip off the Big Lebowski, when in reality, again, the dude is just along for the ride. Crazy things happen, it gets worse, and, um, you know, again, um, they go on. When they're in the car, and they're supposed to deliver the money, uh, throw it out the window, actually, but and Walter wants to do a different thing, and he gets his way, and that's what he wants. The dude starts to get pissed off starts to get angry and you can see how he has such a hard time setting boundaries having walter do something different he just he's not able to and he's getting angrier and angrier but he's not effective at setting that boundary and stopping walter which yeah. pisses him off even more exactly right exactly right and there's the scene where uh, walter pulled the gun on smoky uh, played by the musician Jimmy Dale Gilmore, about his toe going over the line at the uh, during the bowling game match. I don't even know what you call bowling. And by the way, has there ever been a more nine-ish sport than bowling, right? I mean, th this is the other beauty of it is that, you know, the sport they pick is bowling, which is just kind of chilling out and as laid back a sport as you can get, right? So, again, that, that's very nine-ish. But um, Walter pulls a gun on him and threatens to shoot him. Um, for, you know, if he gives himself a nine rather than taking a zero for the toe going over the line. And the dude calms Walter down eventually, and they're talking in the car, and the dude says to Walter, 
just calm down, will you? And Walter's saying, I'm calmer than you are. <laughs> you know, they just have this back and forth <laughs> about who's calmer. And uh, there's one more thing that the dude talks about himself on third person sometimes. Yes. So he yes. gave the dude a beeper. And, and that's something like dissociating from himself, talking about yeah. him as if you were another person. That was interesting. Yes. Yeah, I want to get back to this uh, drawing good boundary uh, with others. And there's a very good sentence uh, uh, during the the bowling uh, game where uh, he was telling them, uh, telling his friends about what happens with the rug and so on. And Walter would said, it's about drawing a line on the sand. So it's like he diagnosed the problem and give it to him clearly. Yes, great, great point. Great point. I hadn't picked mm. up on that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's about setting boundaries and asserting yourself and, and standing up for yourself when people take advantage of you. Let's see. So the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was when the nihilists break into his uh, apartment when he is in the bathtub and he's listening. I don't know if you caught this, but he's listening to the songs of whales and he's surrounded by candles in the dark and he's smoking a joint and the three nihilists break in with a marmot and, and they want to get the money. So, so again, I'm not going to go into where the nihilists come from, right? It's, it's, it's too much to explain, but it does work. And, uh, and, 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 and so Lebowski's response as they come storming into his apartment is, hey, man, this is private property, right? And then, and then he pauses and he says, hey, nice marmot, right? <laughs> Before they throw the marmot into the bathtub with him. Which is not so nice. <laughs> Which is not so nice. No, it's not such a nice marmot after all. Apparently not fond of, uh, of bathtubs. Right? So, uh, so... This sets up another conflict and another chain of events that he, he gets thrown into. You know, just the idea of nihilism in general, right? Nihilism, they keep saying we don't believe in anything, right? So again, it's this absence of assertion that comes through over and over again. The nihilists are just kind of there and they do what comes up and there's not any real forward thinking uh, in their approach. And at one point, Donnie says, are they Nazis? And, you know, and, and, and Walter makes the distinction, no, they're not Nazis, they're nihilists, they don't believe in anything. Now, again, this isn't to say that nines don't believe in anything, but it, the dilemma of the nine is turning over their beliefs and their needs and their desires to other people. The Nihilists also give us two great uh, musician cameos with uh, Flea, the uh, bass player from uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers back in the day. He's one of the Nihilists. And also the girl whose toe they cut off to pretend is the Big Lebowski's wife's toe is played by the musician Amy Mann. If you're not an Amy Mann fan, you should be as far as I'm concerned. Okay, So um, they, they, they later have a, a fight. With the nihilist, that kind of goes crazy, and uh, during that fight, poor Donnie has a heart attack and dies. Uh, the fight with the nihilists, I don't know how you can just not laugh at that scene when they're fighting in the parking lot with the one nihilist with the sword and you know, the, and they're playing the music on the little boombox and all these things, so. All right. Thoughts on the nihilist, guys? Well, the, 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 the funny part in this scene that this is the only group that is less smart than the group of friends <laughs> of the dude and his friends. So, I mean, this is the only group that they met that are really 
competing with them of the minimum score of uh, smartness. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Not 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 a bunch of not a bunch of brain surgeons here. Yeah. What happened to me with them is that they were hard to classify or to read or to think anything of them. You know, and and that's what sometimes happens to me with nines that I don't know where they are. I don't know what they want or uh, what they stand for. Not all nines, of course, but sometimes when it's something that could create a conflict, they remain quiet or they don't assert their point of view. And it's, they're hard to read. And that's what happened to me with this group of people. So during that, uh, during that fight, uh, poor Donnie has a heart attack and dies. And, uh, you know, by this point, kind of all I, of the... I never understood how Walter realized that it was a heart attack so quickly. <laughs> just, just genius. You know, some scenes are made this way, like informing you that the toes are cut or not cut. It's just like, I mean, not logical. Only the camera goes to the toe and show you that it's cut or not cut. So it's like there is no sequence of events that you discover that with. So, I mean, similar to this scene as well. <laughs> So Walter and the dude have Donnie cremated. Apparently he didn't have any other friends or family. So they make the arrangements and Walter gets upset about having to pay $175 for the uh, container or receptacle, I think they call it. Uh, so what do they do? They go off to the nearest Ralph's supermarket to get a big coffee can, take poor Donnie up to the cliffs by the ocean. And Walter says a few words. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there, Maria Jose. Maria Jose's laughing her head off in the in the background there. So yeah, Walter <laughs> says a few nice words, and then they start to spread Donnie's ashes. Um, the dude makes the mistake of standing behind Walter while they do this, and and ends up covered in <laughs> poor Donnie uh, as we go on. And, and never and moves. I mean, he never moves. Move. <laughs> he kept on receiving the whole ashes without really trying even to move away from the direction of the wind. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, so you're you're absolutely right. Again, even with his friend's cremains being blown all over him by the wind, um, the dude remains unflappable and, and hangs in there without uh, showing anything. So uh, we've got one more scene to, to cover and then uh, a few more comments I, I want to make about the nines, uh, particularly about the different subtypes. But before we do that, why don't we take a quick break? Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It's currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. And we're back. And we're talking about the Big Lebowski and Enneagram Type 9. Final scene, 
of again capturing this nineness and a delightful scene so all these crazy things have happened right people have died um, money has been stolen we didn't even talk about maud and the whole uh, you know baby making thing even even that he didn't have any agency over right even becoming a father uh, after being tra- you know tricked by maud into uh, impregnating her it was something he did passively but the dude is back in his natural habitat which is the bowling alley and he's met there once again by sam elliott playing the cowboy who is summarizing things and he said ah strikes and balls ups and downs you know the dude abides right Mm -hmm. which is one of the famous lines the dude abides and Mm -hmm. the cowboy you know goes on and he said ah the dude abides i don't know about you but i take comfort in that it's good knowing he's out there the dude taking her easy for all us sinners and this is kind of the, the 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 value of the nines right is this ability to just get perspective to calm down to lower the temperature of things to you know to just kind of chill out and and look at things in a bigger worldview and to understand that you know life has ups life has downs but in the long run it all sort of evens out so i think it's a nice way to capture that final message and what's happening with point nine comments on the last scene yeah, and, and I think that, as you're saying, really captures how nines make us feel, that there's comfort in that. It's comfortable to be around them. It's easy, and it's kind of, let's say, soothing, maybe that's too much, but but life seems probably less complicated and relaxing or easy. Yeah, I, I guess what what it captures this uh, sentence at the end that I mean all all different personalities are required in life, and this specific one, the nine, is really making people uh, not really feeling bad about things. Uh, I mean, knowing that there's someone there will not escalate as things would escalate. Uh, maybe would accommodate and embrace and try to bring this soothing energy to a situation. So, I mean, I, I feel like in some situation we need that. So, so this is like an element of yeah. life that we need. And somehow this is the value of, yeah. uh, of the nine. So in the, when we talked about the Godfather in the last episode, we had very good examples of all three subtypes, the preserving eight, navigating eight, and transmitting eight. In this movie, we really don't have uh, that, I, I don't think. We, uh, it, we could argue about what um, the dude's subtype is. I see him as a navigating nine. Right. Uh, Some people might think he's preserving because the focus on the rug and all that sort of stuff. But he really didn't seem to be preserving to me. Right. Even he was just undemanding of his environment, which, again, kind of fits with the navigating nine. I remember talking to a client one time who's a very successful and high level um, executive. And he said, in reality, my environment doesn't matter to me. I could I could live in a refrigerator box. If, you know, I I really could. And, uh, you know, again, not all navigating nines would want to live in a refrigerator box, but the dude comes pretty close (laughs) with his apartment. Yeah, and and who knows if he had gone after the guys for, I mean, to get the rug back if Walter hadn't pushed him. That's right. It was all about being shaped by his his people, right? His his friends and his uh, his group. Uh, He took on their identity 
throughout this, right? He he became the person Walter wanted him to be, he became the person the big Lebowski wanted him to be, he became the person Maud wanted him to be uh, for, you know, for short periods. So I would say he's, a, he's probably a navigating nine. The preserving nine is a little more structured, right? A little more grounded, a little more consistent in their approach to things. Uh, the transmitting nine if nothing else is a little bit more focused on their appearance than you know, we certainly didn't see in, in the dude, but also just more ambitious. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we find that yeah. transmitting nines are often mistaken for threes because of their assertiveness and their ambition and their willingness to go after what they want in certain situations. We did see some great examples of transmitting uh, characters certainly Walter was a transmitter. Jesus Quintana was probably a transmitter, right? played again by John Turturro, uh with the rings and the hairnet, and even the way he was polishing his bowling ball was uh, pretty. <laughs> that, that image will never leave my <laughs> my mind. Yes. Yeah. Um, and walking so, like he's dancing, he's not really walking. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, very, very much a uh, a disturbed uh, sort of peacock character, right? Um, let's see, Maud, the uh, the big Lebowski's daughter, played by Julianne Moore, who was just wonderful in this. Uh, yeah. I think kind of a transmitting one character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. This, right? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, so uh, Jackie Treehorn, uh, the uh, the porn. Uh, producer, you know, again, probably another transmitter, probably a transmitting eight. So lots and lots of transmitters in this movie. Uh, Donnie, how about Donnie? What do you guys think about Donnie as his subtype? Mm. I have a theory. Probably preserving uh, two. Preserving two, okay. How about you, Maria Jose? He's just too quiet, but always observing and wanting to kind of jump in to the conversation, but never allowed to. Um. (laughs) You're out of your element, Donnie. (laughs) You have no frame of reference. (laughs) Yeah, so he wanted to, but he kept trying. So so that without, yeah, he was always encouraged to do that. No, I I don't really know. I think he was a navigating seven, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, right. You know, happy go lucky, looking at the bright side, always, you know, surprised by things in an interested way and, you know, you know, always pleasant and yet, you know, kind of being, you know, pushed around by the, or not pushed around, but, uh, you, you know, just kind of being on the edge there with like we see with transmitting mm-hmm. seven, I'm sorry, we see with navigating sevens. So the navigating seven is not really the stereotype of the seven. Right, they're no. not the transmitting seven, which is outgoing and kind of Robin Williams ish, but they're uh, you know, and often mistaken for twos, you know, which we see because of this yes. desire to please other people. Mm-hmm. So, so I would go with a navigating seven for for Donnie. So, favorite lines of the movies, folks, anything because th- th- this movie is one of those movies that has, like The Godfather, uh, quite a few quotable lines um any any favorite lines i just love the the fact that when he says that the rug tied the, the room together you know it's just so absurd <laughs> just so absurd and he felt so he felt so fond of this rug and how <laughs> just 
I think it's brilliant. <laughs> and and so and oddly enough, the uh, character that the dude was based on by the Cohen brothers was this. His name was Jeff Dowd, and he was um, a you know he was a '60s radical who sort of bumbled his way into the film industry, and uh, also um, he kept talking about this rug that got ruined and how it held the room together, right? And that became the inspiration for the dude. So, yeah. Tamara, how about you? Yeah, not not really uh, uh, lines as much as uh, the whole movie. uh, The dude does not talk about himself, his background, Mm -hmm. his history. Only after making love with Julian Moore's, she asks him about what did you do in your life, and this is the only scene that you can find him talking about himself. Yes, and 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 even that was you know uh, was pretty limited, Very right? Abstract. I was, I, no. <laughs> yes, I was one of the Seattle Seven, which was a group of uh, anti-war protesters in the uh, the late sixties, no. early seventies, were um, uh, charged with incitement of riots. When uh, when Brandt was showing him the Big Lebowski's uh, plaques and all of that stuff, he said, "Did you go to college, Mister Lebowski?" And he said, "Well, yeah, sort of. You know, I was there. Uh, you know, took over some you know school buildings." some protests smoked a lot of tie stick right so um but you're right he's just kind of this character who exists independent of time and place Mm -hmm. you could plop him down anywhere and he he would sort of fit in my favorite line quite frankly is uh uh, one i I barely noticed until this last watching is how are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen carl hungus so, uh, so you'll have to watch the movie to understand what that's all about. But uh, I'm a big fan of the movie The Big Lebowski. If you haven't watched it, I hope you'll hope you'll give it a try. It's really, really, really demonstrates Enneagram Type Nine. Yeah, and and in terms of a movie, I think this is the kind of movie when I'm stressed and I don't want to watch something that make me think. That would be this uh, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maria Jose, final thought? I just couldn't stop laughing last night when I was watching it for the last time when the ashes came on his face. You know, it was just such a laugh and I can't <laughs> stop laughing now. And I agree with Tamar. It's something that it's just light, funny, but full of details that are, are just enjoyable. All right. So thank you for joining us for this episode of the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, where we talked about type nine in the movie, The Big Lebowski. Next up is Enneagram type one. I don't want to give away the movie yet, though, so we'll have to wait and see. You've been listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we ask you to go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review. Visit us at awarenesstoaction.com and follow Awareness to Action on social media.